This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. So yesterday, we talked a lot about the place of using our authority you know, and claiming what we need and speaking faith-filled words and knowing that God is our source, God is our supply. Um, today, like I said, I want to emphasize on the other side of faith for finances. You see, sometimes people try to exercise faith when it comes to finances, but they don't sow seed. It's like a, a farmer that wants to reap a harvest. Yes, I know, this has been pushed to stupid extremes. Is that true? It's very true. It's very true. But you know something? We don't have to now run to the other ditch and avoid it because we don't want to be classed with the excess. What do we do? We just present the truth of God's word. Amen. And we present it in love and we endeavor to present a balanced picture. Now, does God want us rich? He does. That's his will. That's his will. Third John 2 says, wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as I so prosper. So God wants us to prosper. In Psalm 84 verse 11, says the Lord is a sun and a shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing shall he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So he wants us to prosper. And when we come in line with God's word and with God's principles, they walk. Are you listening? His principles work. Now, um, there's been a question it has raged quite some in, um, in the body of Christ in this nation. And it's this issue about tithing, right? There's been a lot about tithing. So let's look at tithing. I want to talk in this hour. The last hour we looked at the purpose of prosperity. How the purpose is realization. Now we're to keep our motives right. God wants us to prosper. When I give, why should I give? I should give, number one, because I love God. I should give, number two, because I want to obey God. I should give, number three, because I want to see the Great Commission fulfilled so that the lost, uh, they are reached, and the church is able to continue to fulfill its commission and its mandate. Then I ought to give, number four, so that the needs of other people are met. Are you listening? Then number five, I can, and I should, Mix faith with my giving and expect a harvest. Should I do that? I should. I should. So that should be my priority for giving. That should be my scale, my order. You know. But what happens is this. If we're not careful, our number one reason why we want to give is so that I can get a harvest. Our number two reason for wanting to give is so that I can get a harvest. Our number three reason for giving is so that I can get a harvest. Our number four reason is so that I can get a harvest. Our number 10 reason, so that I can get a harvest. Our number 20 reason, so that I can get a harvest. We don't care. Who cares who is blessed, who is not blessed, as long as I can get my harvest. You understand? But you know, that kind of thinking is, it's selfish, right? Because I don't really care about whether somebody else is blessed. I just see that offering basket as a money multiplying machine you know and sometimes 
we have unconsciously preached it like that. We just see that basket as, you know, money doubler, money doubler, you know, money doubler. God is the new money doubler, money tripler, or money tentler. You know, we just see it as this is how to get more money. Now, if I'm giving just because I want to get, I won't get the way I should have gotten because my motive is not right. So that's why the purpose is important. The purpose should be about reaching the lost. You know, sometimes we talk about good ground. If you ask people what is good ground when it comes to giving, the definition, if I were to ask this class, am I, uh, or let me just ask, what will you call good ground? Anybody with a thought? Uh -huh. Where will we sow and you reap? Right? Anybody who else who sees it like that? Good ground is the ground when, when you plant into it, you get a good yield. Anybody who thinks so? No, if you think so, it's okay. Nothing you say will be used against you. The camera is not on you, so you're not going to be captured. But many of us think that. But you know what? That's really a selfish definition. That's still about me getting good ground. The ground that I give to it and I get the greatest harvest, the quickest harvest, the best harvest, then that's good ground. That's our definition of good ground. But listen, that's a selfish definition. In checking through the Bible, you know what I see good ground as? Good ground is a ground that I give into and it does the most for the work of God. That's good ground. That's good ground. And you know what's interesting? When you give into such a ground, you also get the most out of it. Do you see that? So you see, I'm not saying this so that we won't get a harvest on our giving. I'm even saying it so that we'll get a greater harvest on our giving. But you see, we must have our motives right. If I'm giving just because I want to get, I won't get like I should get. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, Though I give all my goods to feed the poor, I give my body to be burned, and I have not love, it profits me nothing. It won't profit me anything. That's probably the reason some people are giving, 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 and they're not receiving. Because sometimes the motive is just, I want to get back, I want to get back, I want to get back. Who cares whether somebody else is blessed? As long as I am blessed, as long as I get a harvest. You know, if we're not careful, that becomes our motivation for giving. And the moment that becomes our motivation for giving, we won't get back like God wants us to get back. Some of these things is not so that God won't, it's not so that we won't get a good harvest. It's really things that when we put our motives right, we'll get a better harvest. Amen. But we shouldn't give just because we want to get. When it comes to giving, our heart should be, even if I don't get anything out of this giving, hmm? as long as it's going to be a blessing to somebody, as long as it's going to enhance the work of God, then I'm glad to do it. That should be primary. Now, we can then mix faith with our giving and say, however, God said without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So God wants me to believe he's a rewarder. God hasn't called the sons of Jacob to seek him in vain. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. The Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. The same measure you meet out 
will be measured to you again. Do you see that? So I'm to mix faith in my giving. I'm to expect a harvest when I give, but I shouldn't put getting a harvest as my primary reason. Is that clear? You see, that's why I started with the purpose of prosperity tonight. Because we need to sort that out. If we don't sort that out, we're going to get covetous. If we don't emphasize walking in love, hmm? and we don't emphasize reaching the lost, hmm? and we teach prosperity to people, what we're going to get is a bunch of greedy, covetous people. You see, the Word of Faith movement, the entire movement, these are some areas where we need to watch. Because we can easily be misunderstood. And we can easily be branded, oh, those, 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 those blab it and grab it folks. You know? Now, does God want us blessed? He does. But he wants us to have the right motives. He wants us to have the right motives. It's prosperity in the Bible, it is. But, imagine, first Sunday of the year, Topic is giving. It's fine. No problem. Second Sunday of the year, giving. Third Sunday of the year, giving. Fourth Sunday of the year, giving. Fifth Sunday of the year, sowing. Uh, Seventh, sowing. Eighth, sowing. Ninth, sowing. And then, you know, we started giving there. We turned it into sowing. And then, after some time, we turned it into... Uh, uh, we turned it into... Po- uh, in, in, into... Into offerings. You know. And the whole year... That's the only thing we preach. You know what? The Bible says one of the qualifications for a minister is that he's not greedy for filthy lucre. Is that he's above board. There are some ways you can preach some things and there are some things you can preach that the world will say you are money-minded. And there's no soap you will use to bath that you'll be clean. Whether it's native soap or it's imperial leather, do they still make it? Or is joy, or is lux, or is a is a dudu osun. Whatever you use, you know the Bible says we should abstain from all appearance of evil. You know where to where to carry ourselves and comport ourselves as ministers in a way where whereby it is difficult for somebody to accuse you of being money minded. You know there's a way you can raise an offering, and you just say mm, this guy. Mm. Maybe he just wants more money to come to his ministry. You know? And there's another way you can do it. And nobody can say that, no, he's in need for the money. You know, you know, there's some lies you can tell about some people. And people can say, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. And there can be speculation. See, God wants it such that if they lie on you, that you are doing it for money, that even they themselves will advise themselves that this lie can't work. Nobody can believe us. That guy is so above board in financial matters, that that kind of lie can't stick. Amen. But some people, they don't need to lie. Just telling what we do sometimes will make people think that, no, (laughs) it's difficult to believe that he's not just doing this because he wants my money. I've been in meetings before where people have raised some offerings and I was uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable. I was extremely uncomfortable. During our last Holy Ghost meeting, someone asked, he said, why is it that you guys take the offering, you don't take the offering after more people have come 
after some of those manifestations of the Spirit, why don't you take the offerings then? Because you see, if you take those offerings then, more people will give. And people will give more. Because you see, after they've seen the miraculous, ah, they will give more. I said, that's the very reason we don't do it then. Because they will give things that they probably can't afford to give. They will be emotional. We need to get us more money in the offering. It will. But, you see, I want to be able to sleep in the night. And sleep with a good conscience. Yeah. I want to know that I did not manipulate anybody. I did not um, twist anybody. I did not use... You know, you can use the anointing to line your pocket. There was this healing evangelist during the healing revival. Actually, it was Jack Cole. They brought five deaf and dumb people from deaf and dumb institutions. Laid hands on five of them. Their ears popped open. Their mouths were loosed immediately. The next thing he did, he took an offering immediately. Now, they had taken an offering earlier on in the service. But they now said, look, I want to take a special offering. This one won't pass the bucket. I'll bring it here. Come down here. And make sure you don't come down if you don't have at least $50. $50 in the 40s and in the 50s. It's like $500 today. Yeah. Like saying, don't come down if you don't have 200,000 naira. Now, people were jumping on top of themselves to get $50 in that basket. You know? Some of them could not really afford it. You know, have you ever given before? And after giving, you got home. You say, why did I give that thing? <laughs> ever happened to you? And then you say, was I thinking straight? I heard somebody say that. If you're thinking, and you have two figures, and one is a higher figure, and one is a lower figure, the higher figure is always the right figure. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. See, the devil doesn't mind you giving and giving and giving and giving and giving stupidly. You know, in Mark chapter 7, are you listening? Mark chapter 7, Jesus said by their traditions, Let's read it. You know, sometimes eh, just quoting these things will do people a lot of injustice. Just see it so you know I'm not quoting. We'll come back to Hebrews 6. We're going to talk about tithes and offerings. But before we do, while we're on this giving thing and having the right motivation for our giving. Okay, Mark chapter 7. Let's start from verse 5. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples after the tradition of the elders? but eat bread with unwashing hands. You know, they didn't wash their hands before eating. He answered and said unto them, Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites? But Jesus wasn't very kind to those Pharisees. <laughs> he wasn't very kind to them. He, he didn't suffer fools gladly when he was with them. <laughs> you know, my God, you generation of vipers. You know, he spoke in such terms. Jesus, the man of love, you know, but he didn't mean words with those guys. He answered and said unto them, Well, as Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well, ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. Now listen. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. Honor. That's the word timau. It means to fix valuation upon, 
to revere, to place value on, to honor. Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man say to his father or mother, it is Korban. Now, do you know what Korban means? Korban eh, means a gift that is dedicated to God. You understand? Like, we're doing a special offering. And you say this, I'm going to give it in that special offering. So, just, <laughs> let's read a little more. But he say, if a man say to his father or mother, it is Korban, that is to say a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. You know, Jesus was simply saying, don't give to God what you should use to take care of your parents. Yeah. Part of honoring your parents is giving to them materially. It, it is. Giving to them materially. So it's not saying that you say it's a gift devoted to God, what you should have used to take care of your family, of your parents. That by such, you are making the word of God of none effect. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. First Timothy 5.8 says that he that doesn't provide for his own, especially those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. If you take your children's school fees and you give it as a special seed, we might need to take you for psychiatric evaluation. You see, your children too are part of the, the, the grounds you should sow into. Your wife is also good ground. Your husband is also good ground. Do you understand? Now, am I saying we shouldn't give to God? We should give to God. But I'm saying what you should use to take care of your family, don't give it to Rema. What you should use as your tithe that should go to your local church, don't give it to Rema. Your tithe belongs to your local church. Are you listening? Yeah. If I say it like that, you understand it. And I'd rather put it in such terms so we get it clearly. So what am I saying? We should have our motives right. We should have our priorities right. Does the word of God teach giving? It does. Amen. Is it good to partner with Rema? Actually, if you're a student, I believe you should. Because somebody gave for you to be able to come. It's not your fees that's keeping you here. It's somebody's giving. Some people are giving so that our doors can stay open. So if you decide that the same way Someone is, has been a blessing to me so I could come to school. I want to be a blessing to other people so that other people too can come. That's just the godly thing to do. Do you understand? So I'm not putting down partnership with Rayma. I'm not putting down giving to Rayma. But I'm just saying we should take the entire counsel of God's word and not pick and choose. And not pick and choose. Amen. Now, can God sometimes lead us in sacrificial giving? He can he can. But be sure it's God leading you. And in some of these things, let me tell you something. If your spouse is saved, hmm, if it's the Spirit of God, he can talk to them too. Uh -huh. And check out with them. I'm thinking this. Actually, when it comes to some of these areas, don't make a hurried decision. Think over it. Pray over it. I was in a meeting. 
incidentally, I'm going to talk about giving, and it's looking like I'm talking against giving. I'm not. But it's just that I want us to have a balanced perspective about it. Don't get on this ditch. Don't get on that ditch. Don't let, look, there's some offerings. There's some, I've seen a friend of mine talked about, he was in this meeting, one fellow came, he talked about, this was many, 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 many years ago. This happened in Ibadan, so don't guess. It happened in Ibadan. He talked about, he was in this meeting, somebody came and talked about how there was a special anointing on him, and that what activates that anointing is when people give, you know, and that if they give to his ministry, that anointing will be specially activated, you know, a death-breaking anointing, and all that, and all that. This, my friend, was very intelligent, and he's someone I respect, but I was shocked that he almost emptied his account to activate that anointing. Then I said, I want you to see whether that anointing worked for him. It did it. Don't come and tell me sub stories. You know, if look, they didn't put your hand, their hand in your pocket and take your money out. Amen. Check it out. Never be pressured. Are you listening to me? Never be pressured. One of the best ways to get me not to give is you start putting pressure on me. It doesn't work. I don't give out of pressure. I give based on God's word. I don't give out of emotion. I was in a meeting. It wasn't in Abuja. Hmm? And I don't think you know where it was. You know. And um, in this meeting, somebody was talking about how there was a special anointing that was on the altar right then. And that after the meeting, the anointing will have lifted. And that that anointing will do this and this and this in your life. And that the way to tap into that anointing is to come and give right now. And then the person, you know, this person gave, and that person gave, and the other person gave, and this happened to them, and that happened to them. Well, he didn't tell us those that gave into that kind of anointing, and nothing happened to them, you know. So, and then he said the anointing was there at, at that time. That after the service, if you come and you give it, that anointing will have lifted. You see, things like that make it, it just seems to me like you don't want them to think. You don't want them to have enough time to think about it. Or to pray about it. So that, and then, you know, people, sheep are sheep. You know what it means to be sheep? They are sheepish. You push like this, they go. You push like that, they go. You push the other way, they go. And then, they would just say, if my pastor brought this person, because the person was a guest speaker, then it must mean that if he said God said, then God said. And sometimes, your pastor is not giving in it. <laughs> your pastor is wondering, why is this person doing this? But your pastor may just keep quiet also. And he may just be uncomfortable too. Now, can God lead us to take special offers? Yes. Are there times when God is actually moving like that? Yes. But what I'm saying is this. Don't give based on emotionalism. Don't give based on somebody, you know, whipped up your sentiments. Don't. Such givings hmm, don't do much good. Give based on God's word. Should you give, we should give. The Bible teaches giving. God is a generous God. So we should give generously. The Bible says the liberal soul shall be made fat. Are you listening? But make sure your giving is based on the word of God. And not on something somebody said, God said. If God is actually telling you, you know, the widow of Zarephath, God told Elijah, I have commanded a widow woman. So God spoke to the woman too. Am I making sense? 
So don't, don't be scammed. Sometimes some of the people who preach some of these extreme things, they are good people. They mean well. Now, some don't mean well. But many mean well. But you see, just check it out with the word. I was somewhere one time, and then someone quoted a scripture. You know, how somebody gave, oh, how somebody's life was turned around in the Bible. And then the person said, if you give such and such amount, you will get what that person got. Immediately, I started thinking. I said, okay, did that person give that amount? Then, who did he give his own to? The Bible didn't say he did. But you see, believers, because sometimes you don't think Jesus took away not only our sins, sometimes you think he took away our brains too. <laughs> Am I forgiven? By all means. But, the Bible says every man, as he proposes in his heart, let him give. Not grudgingly. Not grudgingly. Not grudgingly. Not of necessity. Not out of compulsion. Don't give because you are forced into it. Such giving is not going to work. No. What should we give? By all means. But we should give based on God's word. We should give consistently. We'll get into some of that. All right. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We want to look at tithes and offerings. Verse 12. Hebrews 6.12. The Bible says that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So, God's word is telling us here, New Testament believers, that we should not be slothful, but rather than being slothful, we should be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, he now goes on in verse 13, the next verse. He says, for when God made promise to Abraham, so he's giving an example of somebody who inherited the promises, Right? Amen. When God made promise, he's talking about promise, to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. You see promise there again. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation to them is an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, it now goes to say something. You know, the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse originally. It was a simple discourse. You don't write a letter in chapter and verse, do you? I don't. I don't think you do either. This wasn't written in chapter and verse. It was for the sake of reference that it was put in chapters and verses. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. This is Genesis 14. A tenth there means a tithe. That's what a tithe is, a tenth. One naira out of every ten. One thousand out of every ten thousand. A hundred thousand out of every million. Ten percent. Abraham gave a tenth. Now, remember, the context he started from. Don't be slothful. 
Rather, be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Now, he now talked about God gave promise to Abraham. Now, we see that Abraham inherited the promise. So, he's giving Abraham as an example of someone God gave promise to and who inherited the promise. And he's giving him as an example of someone we can follow. Now, he goes to tell about how Abraham was returning from the slaughter of kings. And then he met Melchizedek, you know, uh, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, obviously a type of Christ, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Now there are some schools of thought about who Melchizedek was. Some believe that this was a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Some believe that, no, Melchizedek uh, perhaps was Seth. You know, different views about who Melchizedek was. Well, I've learned to be silent where the New Testament is silent and loud where it's loud. God wanted us to know for a fact who he was, he would tell us. But at least, this what he has told us, right? He said, uh, he's a type of Christ. That's clear. Okay. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are, of, that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood. So he's talking about something else here. He's talking about the law and how uh, the tribe of Levi was given the office of the priesthood. Who received the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law that is of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them, is not counted from Levi, received tithes of Abraham. So this tithing obviously is not a Levitical tithing. This was at least 400 years, maybe 430 years before the law was given. So this predates the law. And this is being contrasted, compared, there's some form of com compare and contrast that's going on between Abraham tithing to Melchizedek and Israel tithing to Levi. All right. Verse 7. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertained to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made, not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testified, Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. 
by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made a priest. For these priests, those priests were made without an oath. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, by so much was Jesus made a shorty of a better testament. Now, people can split hairs about tithe. One thing that is, you have to be a dishonest student of the Bible not to admit. It's this. Is there much, uh, does the New Testament say a whole lot about tithing? It doesn't. It doesn't. We have Jesus referred to it, Matthew 23, 23. And then Luke captures that too. Where Jesus said, uh, the tithe of mint, of anise, and of cumin. But the weightier matters of the law. You know, they were tithing of vegetables. Tithing to vegetable, vegetable. You know, you'll be counting vegetable. You count for every ten, you take one. Every ten, you take one. He said, but the weightier matters of the law. Mercy, justice, and faith they have left. Jesus now said, this they ought to have done and not have left the other also. What does that immediately tell me? Tithing is not one of the weighty matters of the law. I have to be dishonest to say otherwise. It's obvious. He said the weightier matters of the law. Mercy, justice, and faith. Tithing is not one of the weighty matters of the law. That's clear. But also, one thing I see there is that Jesus there didn't say men shouldn't tithe. He didn't say it. He just said you should do the other. You see, God is more interested in your heart than he is in your money. Are you hearing me? You know, some people think if I can just give, if I can just tithe, even if I do 419, even if I'm a prostitute, even if I, I live anyhow, even if I, if I cut corners, as long as I tithe, as long as I settle Baba God, as long as I come, you know, to go and give, to go and appeal to the gods that God is fine by me. No, he's not fine. God is more interested in our hearts than he is in our money. Are you listening? Yeah. But you see, Jesus didn't say, don't tithe. Now, when Jesus said that, was the New Testament in effect? It wasn't. They were still under the law. And notice he was talking about the law. He said the weightier matters of the law. He said this they ought to have done and not have left the other also. So technically, we can't say that was in the New Covenant. I agree. In the Acts of the Apostles, the whole of the Acts of the Apostles, in the 28 chapters, you could check it, I've checked it, I've checked it, I must have read it over a hundred times. Hmm? I haven't seen one place yet where tithing was mentioned. That's a fact. So there isn't much mention of the tithe in the New Testament. You have to be dishonest to say otherwise. You have to be dishonest to say otherwise. However, you know what? This scripture in Hebrews 6.12 tells me that I'm to be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And he now gives an example of Abraham. And now Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And that was compared and contrasted with how Israel tithed to Levi. And Israel tithing to Levi was under the law. Abraham tithing to Melchizedek is a type of our faith. Are you listening? Romans 4.12 says that we should follow in the steps of Abraham's faith. Now after Abraham did that, Melchizedek blessed. Are you listening? And Mel Jesus, Melchizedek is a type of Christ. Look, if before the law, they did 10%. The law came, they did 10%. Now that we're under grace, should we do, should we do no percent? 
if they did 10% under the law, grace shouldn't do less. Yeah. Somebody says, no, the moment you start going into this 10% thing, you're getting back into being legalistic, into being, okay, I've heard you. You that you're not legalistic, what are you doing? Nothing. 0.1%. We don't have to split hairs over it. Are you listening? Now, there are people who tithe out of a slavish duty. You know? You could go to Malachi 3. These people are cursed with a curse. Why? Because they don't tithe. Listen, as a New Testament believer, if you don't tithe, you are not cursed. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Are you listening to me? But let me tell you something. Is there a blessing that comes with tithing? There is. Do I want it? I do. Someone says, it says the devourer will be rebuked for your sake. No, leave that. He said, I will bless you. God has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I know. But are you sick sometimes? Is healing a blessing? Do you need it? Yeah, we're telling, this is just one of the ways to appropriate the blessings that are yours. Are you listening? If people could be blessed for tithing in the Old Testament, I don't think people will be cursed for tithing in the New. And if they did, you see, Abraham tithed 400 years before the law. Jacob, in, in Genesis 28, he said, God, if you take me and bring me back, I will give you a tenth of all I have. Now, we are not told whether he fulfilled that vow or not. We are not told. I honestly have to say that. He might have. He most probably did. But at least he mentioned it. So, we see Abraham tithing before the law. We see Jacob talking about tithing, promising to tithe before the law. The law now and the became regulated by the law. There are different laws about the tithe. There are some tithes they are meant to eat themselves. There a lot of ordinances, a lot of regulations that was given about, about tithing when the law came. Now, are we under the law today? We are not. We are not. But tithing predates the law. Tithing predates the law. Amen. Do I tithe? I do. Faithfully. Why do I tithe? Is it because I'm afraid of the devourer? No. Is it because I'm on a guilt trip? No. You know, some people tithe for the wrong reason. Some people tithe so that devourer won't get them. Some people tithe because they're afraid. Some people tithe because they feel guilty. Some people tithe out of a slavish duty. It won't work if you do it out of any of those reasons. But you know something? If people could be blessed for tithing in the new covenant, you won't be cursed for it. You won't. And you see, the tithe belongs to your local church. The unit of the universal church is the local church. God is strong about the local church. God is building strong local churches, teaching them the flow in the supernatural. You see, the only place in scripture, the only time, the only one time, God said people should prove him was about the tithe. Said that in Malachi. He said, prove me now herewith. Now, was that under the law? It was. I'm not saying it wasn't. But listen to what he said. He said, prove me now herewith. And see if I will not open to you the floodgates, the windows of heaven. Remember the last time he opened the windows of heaven? Noah's time. And there was the flood. He said, I will open to you the windows of heaven. He said, and I will pour you out a blessing. You know something? I see some people who are fighting prosperity. Hmm? Who are fighting giving. 
Listen, it doesn't make sense doing that. It's one of the surest ways to be broke. It's one of the surest ways not to have money to preach what you say you are preaching. There is a law of sowing and reaping. I, there is. You have to be dishonest not to admit it. Oh, let's... You see, sometimes when people go into hermeneutics and Bible interpretation, few people are honest about it. Many times, we are prejudiced. Sometimes people are trying to prove something. They already have something they are trying to prove. You know, sometimes it's like, why are you just... You are twisting this thing. This is clear. The context is clear. But you, are, you know, you can twist it until it looks like what you are trying to make it say. One of the surest ways to be able to close shop, just keep preaching against giving. You hear? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Time is going to come. You won't have money to preach at all, to say anything you want to say. It's, it's, it's scriptural. Now, is it true some people have pushed tight into an extreme and, and will use anything to force money out of people? Yes. Is it true some people have pushed sowing and reaping to an extreme and preached it as though it's the only thing in the Bible? Yes. But should we throw the baby away with the dirty bath water? Because we are running from one extreme on this side. Should we go to the other extreme on the other side and say, no, there's no sowing and reaping. No, there's no prosperity and redemption. No, God is not particular about money. No, that doesn't even make sense. In the Old Testament, God's people could be blessed materially and financially. In the New Testament, we should only be blessed spiritually. You know, the material and financial doesn't matter. It's because we are really being selfish. It takes money to do world evangelization. And God wants the money to come into the church. The first church, Brother Higgin pastored. And there was one community church, pastor for three years. Then there was, there was another full gospel church. He pastored about six to eight months. Then there, he left that one, went to another one. He took that one for about two years. You see, that one he pastored about six months. He never taught them about tithing. He never taught them about giving. He never did. He never, that first community church in Roland, Roland, Texas, he never, never took an offering. Never. There was one day he needed $3. Talked about it yesterday. When he was coming to church, he released his faith for the $3. There was one lady that was playing the piano. Right in the middle of her playing, she just jumped up and said, God just spoke to me that Brother Higgin needs $3. She was spot on. Said that I'm going to take him an offering, even if it here lips the devil. That's exactly what she said. They didn't have an offering basket. She took her heart. They passed the heart. The money that came in was $3.10. He said he doesn't remember walking home. He must have flown. The other church he got to, God told him, he said, do you know that church? You robbed them. You cheated them. You claimed you were living by faith. But it wasn't faith. It was ego. You didn't teach them to tithe. You didn't teach them to give. And because you didn't teach them, I couldn't bless them like I wanted to. You see, two extremes. You can go to your church as a pastor and you teach about giving every time. Teach about tithing every time. And you're going to put people off. And you're going to chase members away. And wise people will stop coming. Because they'll know, no, this doesn't add up. Everything is just money, 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 money. They're just making a pool of money. And it will look like you're just being money-minded. But on the other extreme, if you don't teach your people about tithing, 
If you don't teach your people about giving, now, are we blessed with all spiritual blessings and heavenly blessings in Christ Jesus? We are. But you see, we need to appropriate the blessings, isn't it? Do the blessings just fall on us? Healing, don't you appropriate your healing to enjoy it? Prosperity, shouldn't we appropriate our prosperity to enjoy it? We should. And one of the things God has put in place, you see, there's a place of releasing our faith. Yesterday I spoke about uh, taking our authority in area of finances, uh, the place of our words, the place of renewing our minds. That's one side of faith for finances. The other side is the side I'm talking about today. The, the side of tithing, of giving, of being generous. And many times, people won't sow seed and they want a harvest. And it's one of the major reasons people fail a lot when it comes to faith for finances. Amen. I know you want to hear the rest of this. I want to tell the rest of it too. Let's catch up after the break. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.